So let's uh, take a little time to reflect on what today means, this uh, day in between. Um, then we'll meditate again and have some time for, for sharing and, and discussion as before. So, Holy Saturday is one of those days you don't quite know what to do with. I love uh, Good Fridays because <coughs> everything is finished by three o'clock and you have this feeling of you don't have to do anything. because there's, there's no more talks and there's no more anything you've done, all things you had to do. And, uh, and so your normal routine is, is changed. And of course, it's very healthy to change your routine. I think St. Bernard said uh, in the 12th century that the most important thing in the monastic life was to have an unchanging routine. And the second most important thing was to change that unchanging routine. So you need the routine, but you need to be refreshed as well. And that, that uh, idea of change within what is constant, what is with, within what is continuous and stable, that's, I think, very much part of what a healthy life and a healthy mind is about. Um, when I am here on the island sometimes and I just make a quiet retreat on my own and I, so I have uh, a few days and I basically you get into a routine more or less and do the same thing every day and with no external interruptions for a while. Um, but no day is the same. Something always, something always happens. You know, maybe you forget to turn the, the oven on for your meal or you're out walking and you bump into somebody new and you have a change or you hear about something. So every, it's inherent in life that there is change and growth. And yet we, we need this balance between continuity and stability and uh, refreshment and renewal and challenge challenging, of course. And I think we also see that in meditation. Sometimes people are a little challenged by the idea of meditation because it seems boring. You know, you sit down and you do nothing and you let go of your thoughts and you're not planning, you're not fantasizing, you're not uh, analyzing anything or judging anything. You, you're just laying all of that that sort of stream of mental consciousness, you're just laying it aside. And people are often a little nervous about it because it's, it seems boring to them. And yet, um, it never is the same, of course. You never go down to the same river twice. The river is always flowing. It's the same river, it has the same name, it's in the same place, but the river itself is, is alive, it's flowing, it's changing. And the, the group of human beings that understand this most intuitively, I think, are children. Um, Sister Murray yesterday um, spoke with, with the children, the servers uh, at the Mass and the church, and 
gave them, as you probably heard during our meditation, they had their own little meditation session in between. And I had asked them before, uh, would they like to have it? Because they used to have meditation in the school here. And then that fell by the wayside, but most of them still remember it. So I just offered it to them, and they were very keen. They were very um, interested in it. So she, she met with them, and they meditated, and you said they... They, yes. well they were very keen, and um, I showed them the app. Oh, yes. So they were very keen on that, and uh, I said their mothers had had a smartphone or someone had one. Yes. And um, they thought that was really good, because then we had the time, and I don't know if anyone did, but there was... We did yes, we heard it going off, in a, yes. So that was just five... Yeah. And I loved it. And, uh, it's a we're going to do this. We're going to continue this. So yeah, it was great. I'm sure you, you sort of re refreshed it yeah. for them. And the elder girl um, <coughs> in high school, she said, keep, keep, what did she want to do? Not yet. She said, the high school should go and do just social distancing. Oh. Yeah, next year I think yes. she goes, yeah. That's good. So, it's, uh, yeah, thank you for doing that. So, the um, your children have this... Uh, this intuitive uh, awareness that that uh, the, the freshness and the newness is within ourselves. It isn't only about you know having new clothes or new technology or uh, new things around you. It's not just about novelty. Newness is not just about the novelty, which, of course, keeps our consumer society driving. Everything's have to be new all the time, new versions, new editions, new products. So they understand what the contemplative tradition has always understood, that the, the spring, the source of things that keeps things renewed is within ourselves. And I think um, I was talking to a, a student, the, uh, recently who told me that um, he was a perfectly ordinary guy, really, but he was unusual in that he had, he had grasped or he had understood the, this contemplative dimension of life quite early in his life for, for a number of reasons. He was able to um, have picked this up. And he said to me at one point, one of the things, using the word in a slightly different way than I was using it, but he said um, one of the things that his generation lacks is the gift of boredom. And I think by boredom, he didn't mean what, what we fear boredom to be, which is, um, you know, a sort of deathly, uh, exhausting, life-denying kind of state. But uh, by that, that he meant, he meant this quality of stability, this quality of sameness, which is renewed and refreshed by the spring, the source of, of life, of being. That we find, we have to find it in ourselves. If we don't find it within us, we can't live it and we can't renew the external aspects of our lives. We're always looking outside outside stimulus, stimulus, outside events or experiences f for what we need to find within ourselves, that spring of living water that Jesus says flows within us. 
So I think Holy Saturday is one of those uh, days, like Good Friday in a way, where you, 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 you change the, the step liturgically and if, if, you're, if you're thinking about the meaning of these days, if you've entered into the story, into the symbolism, uh, then we're in this sort of, um, within, we're in the story, we're, wait, we're waiting to see what happens next. And the symbols can speak to us in very powerful ways. Symbols are great sources of healing. Uh, Carl Jung said that, that this, this purpose of symbols is that they, 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 um, they give us life and they renew us. But we have to enter into the symbol and see it as something living, not just as a dead routine that you repeat, uh, not just an empty ritual, uh, and not just a belief either. I was saying the other day that really the heart of religion is not belief. We, we um, religious people, particularly in the West and particularly Christ Christians historically, have uh, put a bit too much emphasis on right belief. It's not that it isn't important to articulate how you see things and what you and the doctrine th that is important. And, and there are such things as bad beliefs. You know, you believe in racism or you believe in um, preemptive strikes against people. I mean, th those are they're not beliefs that um, one would want to encourage. But, uh, but the, p the, the essence of a spiritual view of life and a religious way of living the richness of life, is not belief. And the essence of religion is, is symbol. And these symbols can be passed on. They're passed on from you know, one generation to the next. It hasn't happened in our generation very much, but they, but they can be renewed. They can be recovered, uh, rediscovered uh, by a new generation. And then this new generation understands maybe better than the previous generation, what these symbols meant. So, uh, so Holy Saturday, I think, is one of those uh, days within the liturgical stream, uh, the repetitive cycle of the year, where we have this opportunity to, to change our step and uh, look at things a little freshly and differently, and preparing as we are now for for the uh, vigil uh, tonight. So um, this is a day where we feel in between, betwixt and between. It's the time between the burial and what happens after that, after you finish the funeral and the person with perhaps with whom you had spent many years of your life or somebody you love very much, uh, as long as all the preparations, all the drama of death are around you and the visitors are coming and there's all the arrangements to be made and the rituals to be observed, uh, it keeps you 
keeps you busy. And it's important to have those rituals and to have those, that busyness in a way. But then, the next day, what happens? Well, everybody has said their kind words, and uh, then they go back to their ordinary lives, the lives they were living before, and you are now living a completely different life because there's something missing, someone missing from your life uh, who was there before. And you hope, uh, with the support that you've received and the faith that you have, you, you can keep going. But you don't know where you're going. You don't know what life is going to be like. Should I sell the house? Should I downsize? Should I move? Should I, you know, you're probably, you, you, you don't know how far forward to look. And it's a, <coughs> a, t a time of unknowing. And one of the ways in which we can uh, understand meditation and the way it's been described uh, throughout the tradition is as an experience of unknowing. There's a little book, of course, the famous 14th century English book called The, the Cloud of Unknowing. And in The Cloud of Unknowing, the little author, it's only a short little book, if you haven't read it, I recommend it. It's written during a very turbulent social and political period in English history in the 14th century. But it describes this timeless uh, wisdom, really, of, uh, of meditation. It teaches meditation out of this specific tradition of the mantra. And he's very uh, down-to-earth, he's very pragmatic. But he says at one point, you know, when you start meditating and you start to get into this cloud of unknowing, because you're laying aside your thoughts, your plans, all the, all the signs and signals and all the directions that you were using, you let go of those and you just, you just uh, go forward without these signs, without these words, without these images. And he says, when, that, when you first start to do that, you feel very disoriented. And you don't know what direction you're, you're moving in. You don't know what's up, what's down, what's left, or what's right. And I remember that some years ago when we had uh, a big seminar in Northern Ireland, in Belfast, and the Dalai Lama had, had, had was our principal speaker there. And I was in a little plane flying from uh, Belfast to, to Derry. And um, it's just a, maybe a five-seater. And I was sitting next to the pilot. And he was sitting uh, behind me with a couple of other people. And as we were, it was only a short flight. And it was quite a clear day, like today. And then the pilot said to me, would you like to take the controls? <laughs> so the Dalai Lama heard this and said from behind, he said, hmm, well, very safe. We have spiritual, spiritual and scientific. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I said, yes, okay. So I, I, mean, I 
wasn't quite sure how much control I had, but uh, I, I uh, thought I was steering it in a way in the right direction, keeping it up in the air. I mean, he was obviously uh, had the major control. And then, but then suddenly we went into a cloud. And in an instant, I lost all sense of direction. I, I, we could have been going up like that, or down, or left or right. And you know, when you try to imagine these changes of scene, you always imagine yourself as a fixed observer, fixed point. But when you're actually in it, you're not. Your your point of reference, your way of observing things, is has itself has changed. So it was a little panicky, and I was very glad that I had the trained pilot sitting next to me, and uh, who had the experience, and uh, was probably also had his radar as well. So, uh, so what the cloud of unknowing, uh, the author of the cloud of unknowing, is saying is something we all experience when we begin to meditate: this feeling of disorientation. Um, it's a little like when you're driving somewhere and you're following the road signs and then, wouldn't you know it, you, you get to a, to a junction in the road and there are no signs. It's that feeling of, of being in a different, a different way of relating to the space around you. Now, this unknowing, though it's disorientating, it's not unconscious. You're not unconscious. But the temptation could be that you prefer to be unconscious rather than stay in the unknowing state. So we, we saw um, how the disciples uh, fell asleep again in the Garden of Gethsemane because this was clearly a, a strange, unusual time. They sensed or knew that this was going to be his last night, their last night together. And uh, it's very easy when you're facing the unknown just to turn off, to fall asleep. And there, there are variations on this, even when you're meditating. Um, it's easy to prefer to go into a half-drowsy state where you feel, oh, this is nice, meditation is very nice, very peaceful, you know, I can just sort of half-relax, I'll half-say the mantra now, well, I'll just say it, you know, when I feel I need to, to stay in awake enough just to enjoy it. So there's, a, there's that temptation, which uh, the desert monks used to call the sopor letalis, lethal sleep, or the pax perniciosa, the pernicious peace, the dangerous, the kind of false peace, it's a drowsiness. Um, so, uh, it, it, the important <coughs> thing is for us to see the difference between unknowing and unconscious, between being awake and being asleep, and how often does Jesus tell us to stay awake and pray? Praying is about being awake. And not just uh, biologically uh, awake, but uh, 
awake at every level of our being and of our consciousness. And we don't know what it is to be awake until we're awake. So we could say, well, I'm awake, I know what it is, I'm not sleeping, I'm not in bed, uh, I'm going through the, real, the routines of my life, I know what I'm doing. But we can sleepwalk, really, through large parts of our life um, until something, we get a wake-up call. And it could be a death, it could be an illness, it could be uh, a loss of a job or, or an offer of a job or uh, something happens then that, that changes the routine, changes the pattern and we, we, we realize we can be more awake than we have been. The Buddha was once, uh, the, Buddha, the word Buddha of course means one who is awake. Buddhi, the consciousness, the conscious mind, one who is awake, just as Christ means the one who is anointed, so the Buddha means one who is awake. So uh, it's generic in that sense, we're all Buddhas and we're all uh, Christs. Uh, and that's, that's their teaching, is that we are, we are called by, by their unique wisdom into discovering this for ourselves. So the Buddha said on one occasion, no one is ever enlightened when they're asleep. <coughs> we have to be awake. Um, so I think this uh, Holy Saturday is a day we should, we should kind of relish this uh, in-between state uh, and allow ourselves to be a little uncomfortable, that we don't know what's going to happen but we keep, we keep moving nonetheless. Externally, at times like this in our life, uh, we may see things to be rather boring. Not much is happening. The old things that stimulated us and excited us and kept us busy for the time being are suspended like a time of mourning or a time of grief when you're in the days after a, a funeral you don't feel like going out uh, or having fun. Uh, you imagine that will come back but you just don't feel that it, certainly at the moment it, 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 you don't feel that. So one should actually one should be conscious of of that state and if you are if you can be awake in that state <coughs> of unknowing, then you, you might pick up uh, a sense of something happening out of sight, out of mind. And theologically speaking, what happens in, in Holy Saturday, Jesus is in the tomb, the disciples and his family have all scattered and frightened and broken and un unclear about what the future lies in hold and uh, feeling danger even. Uh, but theologically, we're, 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 uh, we're asked to, to think about what Christ is doing, what is happening 
in the underworld. Because this is the, the day in which he harrows hell, as the expression meaning that he goes, the, the, the spirit of Christ, the, the power of Christ, now penetrates through all these layers and levels, geological strata of, 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 of consciousness, of human consciousness, through all the ages and through all the spheres of creation. So we, this, is, this is the day we actually have to have the cosmic picture. Right. Tomorrow we begin to think about the cosmic Christ. But, it's, but this already begins today out of sight. This is the under, underground work, the un, work in the deep unconscious. Um, we know that um, the um, universe is made up of energy, but that also that 98% of that energy and matter, which is a form of energy, is uh, something we cannot see. We can see the effects of it, but we can't see dark matter dark energy. We know that it's there because of the gravitational effect it has on everything around it, so there must be something there, but we don't know what it is. And it's, it's by far the greatest amount of energy in the universe, and we don't know what it is. But we know that it's there. Well, then the, that's a kind of, I mean, I suppose the, the dark uh, the dark uh, metaphor for that would be reading the other day about the dark web, the internet. And uh, this is, I don't know if it's bigger than the real web, but anyway, it's, uh, it's the other side of the web. This is where the terrorists and uh, you know, other people who are doing bad things that they want to keep hidden, this is where they hang out in this sort of netherworld of the dark web. So, which we can't see when we go onto Google, not aware that all of this is, is there. So that's the sort of the shadow side of, of that, of the unconscious. So today, the, theologically, we're asked to reflect upon Jesus, the, 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 the uh, going, penetrating deep down, so boring down deep into the, um, the universe. And we know that human beings, homo sapiens, who we are, we're, we're the surviving species of, of many humanoid groups that were running around uh, many millions of years ago, competing with each other we were the ones who, who came through. And uh, somebody was saying the other day to me that um, dogs were um, domesticated at about the same time as Homo sapiens uh, began to, to take control of the human humanoid uh, species. And so maybe that's why we like dogs so much, they were helping us 
get rid of our competitors. But uh, anyway, we, we had this, and occasionally even nature throw, gives us a, a little insight genetically into the fact that these layers and layers, these strata of consciousness uh, of the animal, mineral, vegetable, herbal world and of its, of its interconnectedness, that this is there, but we don't see it. So the idea today of Holy Saturday is that, is that Jesus is bringing into that underworld or the unknown world what he brought to us in the visible world. And what did he bring to us? He brought to us the power of consciousness, the power of love, a very simple but transformative perception, teaching and wisdom, and that is authenticated not just at an intellectual level, but is authenticated by the experience of love. If his teaching were not totally compatible with our experience of love, it would just be another ideology. Pope Francis says, do not turn the gospel into another ideology. You can't turn love into an ideology. So the wisdom that Jesus communicates to us in the conscious world, and we read, we read and share it in the, in the Gospels, is, uh, is the wisdom of love. And he, he brings the same divine consciousness redemptively in, to enlighten these darker depths of our world, the network of being that we are part of, although we don't see it. And so it's as if he's sort of diving down deep into the depths of the ocean. Uh, where there are all these forms of life that we hardly can imagine or know about. But then he, he turns around and he bursts back and breaks the surface again uh, in the liturgy tonight, where the light when we walk into the church tonight, um, bringing the Paschal candle, sort of the light of consciousness begins to glow and in the darkness, and then it gets passed on from one person to another as we light each other's candles. So it's something we can keep in mind, perhaps as we... Um, as we... Uh, think of the meaning of the day, and, and as I say, to, to relish, to, to take advantage of the strangeness of this intermediate kind of day. Um, so there are two things I'd like to read. One is from an ancient homily for Holy Saturday, and the other one is a, uh, a note given to me by... <coughs> Uh, to um, by a child, uh, a, a girl in a in a school. I'm not quite sure where the school was. Who 
who had learned to meditate. She says, hi, my name is Amelia. I learned Christian meditation in Miss Minchu's class one, no, class. I use it before golf because it helps me concentrate and not be nervous. And I hit the ball, I hit the ball good. <laughs> then there's a second version of this. <laughs> she, must have, she says, hi, my name is Amelia. I'm in fifth grade at Holy Spirit. I learned Christian meditation in Miss Minchu's class two years ago. Well, maybe, it's, maybe it's the same thing to you. I really enjoyed learning it. I now use it in my everyday life. I play competitive golf. It's a very young girl. I remember meeting her. I use Christian meditation in my golf game. It calms my nerves before my shots. It helps me concentrate and focus. Then I hit the ball well. See, her grammar has got much better. Besides helping my golf game, Christian meditation keeps me centered in God and grateful for the talents he has given me. Isn't that beautiful? So it's, it's very incarnate. So she sees the, the fruits of meditation in, in her game. She loves this in its competitive sort, but she's, she's not spoiled by the competitive nature of it. And, but she also has this deeper awareness that it's centering her in God. And I think that that is one uh, little text of wisdom. And this is another from an ancient homily for Holy Saturday. It's about the Lord's descent into the underworld. Actually, Giovanni, would you like to, to, to read it? You can, maybe we can do it uh, yeah, it's only one page. I think it's okay. You've read it before, I think. Something strange is happening. There is a great silence on earth today, a great silence and stones. The whole earth keeps silence because the king is asleep. The earth trembled and is still because God has fallen asleep in the flesh and he has raised up all who have slept ever since the world began. God has died in the flesh, and hell trembles with fear. He has gone to search for our first parent, as for lost sheep, greatly desiring to visit those who live in darkness and in the shadow of death. He has gone to free from sorrow the captives, Adam and Eve, he who is both God 
and the Son of God. The Lord approached them bearing the cross, the weapon that had won him victory. At the sight of him, Adam, the first man he had created, struck his breast in terror and cried out to everyone, My Lord be with you all. And Christ answered him, And with your spirit. And he took him by the hand and raised him up, saying, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. <coughs> I am your God, who for your sake have become your Son. Out of love for you and for your descendants, I now, by my own authority, command all who are held in bondage to come forth, all who are in darkness to be enlightened, all who are sleeping to arise. I order you, O sleeper, to awake. I did not create you to be held a prisoner in hell. Rise from the dead, for I am the life of the dead. Rise up, work of my hands, you who were created in my image. Rise, let us leave this place, for you are in me, and I am in you. Together we form only one person, and we cannot be separated. And for your sake, I, your God, became your son. I, the Lord, took the form of a slave. I, whose home is above the heavens, descended to the earth and beneath the earth for your sake, for the sake of man. I became like a man, without help, free among the dead. And for the sake of you who left a garden, I was betrayed to the Jews in a garden. I was crucified in a garden. See on my face the spittle I received in order to restore to you the life I once breathed into you. See there the marks of the blows I received in order to refashion your warped nature in my image. On my back see the marks of the scourging I endured to remove the burden of sin that weighs upon your back. See my hands, nailed firmly to a tree. For you, who once wickedly stretched out your hand to a tree. I slept on the cross, and a sword pierced my side. For you, who slept in paradise, and brought forth Eve from your side. My side has healed the pain in yours. 
my sleep will rouse you from your sleep in hell. And the sword that pierced me has sheathed the sword that was turned against you. Rise. Let us leave this place. The enemy led you out of the earthly paradise. I will not restore you to that paradise, but I will enthrone you in heaven. I forbade you the tree that was only a symbol of life, but see, I who am life itself am now one with you. And I appointed cherubim to guard you as slaves are guarded, but now I make them worship you as God. The throne formed by cherubim awaits you, its bearers swift and eager. The bridal chamber is adorned, the banquet is ready, the eternal dwelling places are all prepared the treasure houses of all good things lie open. The kingdom of heaven has been prepared for you from all eternity. your shoulders, the muscles of your face. And just turn your attention for a few moments to your breathing. To breathe in and accept the gift of life. And because it is a gift, you let it go, you breathe out again. So just, just be conscious of that cycle of breath. By paying attention to your breath, you're taking a first mindful step towards meditation by taking the attention off your thoughts.
Now we go a little deeper as we introduce the mantra, the word, and begin to repeat our word during the whole time of the meditation, listening to the word as you say it. And the word I suggest is Maranatha. Ma ra na tha. Ma ra na tha. Listen to it as you say it, give it your attention. Articulate it clearly in your mind, but listen to it as you say it. Say it gently without force. Don't try too hard. But say it attentively and faithfully. Keep returning to it when you get distracted. And remember, you don't have to evaluate yourself. Just be faithful, just keep returning to the word. Ma, ra, na, tha.